MaxScholarsPublishing.com That uh, we should get our own. Once we have our own, uh, we're respected for the fact that we can create our own. And uh, that's equality right there. Episode 12, Season's Greetings. It is fall, autumn. Welcome to the Black Scholars Podcast, a community for black educators. If you're listening to this podcast, more than likely, you're an educator. Even more than likely, you're a black educator. And if you're not a great educator, you're pretty damn good. And if you're not pretty damn good, you have potential to be pretty damn good. And you listen and you study and you observe and you read and you talk to other people and you take your career, your vocation seriously. That's the type of educators that I want to help. Even if you're not a teacher, you're an educator. That means you can be a parent who's homeschooling their own kids. You can be a step parent who has to help their stepchildren with their homework every night. You're a big brother. You're a big sister. If you care and value and acknowledge just how important education is, you're a black scholar. So again, welcome to the show. This episode is a special episode featuring Mr. Van Phillips Jr. He and I have a lot in common. He was a paraprofessional just like myself for a year before he actually got into teaching and having his own classroom. Sometimes it's good to get your feet wet before you jump head first into anything, before you make any life altering decisions. So I respect Van for that. Van's checked out the book. You'll hear him reference it. What book am I referring to? Oh, I'm referring to becoming a highly effective and effective black educator. Becoming an Effective Black Educator. That's my book. I wrote that for you guys. I don't make much money off that book. You can go to Amazon.com. You can get the Kindle version for, I believe, 99 cents. You can get the paperback version for about $9.99. Maybe it's $10.99. Super cheap. And there's great information in there. I wrote that book from the heart. I didn't have to do much research. I've spent eight, nine years in the classroom. That's my research. 
So if you want a research field book that will help you with different strategies on how to become more effective, I encourage you to check out maybe Robert Marzano's books. Uh, I encourage you to check out uh, Teach Like a Champion, Teach Like a Champion 2.0, uh, one of Doug Lamov's books. There are a lot of research-based books for educators to become better at the art and science of educating. I wrote you a book that only I could write. There's no other educator in the world that could write what I wrote because what I wrote came from my experience, came from my perspective. And you guys have been a great support of this podcast. So I hope that you give me a chance and you trust that I know what I'm doing in the classroom. I've got the data behind me. I've got the lives affected behind me. This is a vocation. I won't always be in the classroom, but I guarantee I always have something to do with education. I'll always be in education. It'll just be under different roles, different titles, different salaries. Me and Van talk about that a little bit at the very end. So again, thank you for doing what you do. You are appreciated. You are loved. I know you're overworked. I know you're underpaid. But I know you're intelligent enough. I know you're wise enough to figure out the financial aspect of this thing. And I appreciate and thank you for the hard work that you put in every single day, every single week, every weekend, every month. And educators, please, please take care of yourself. Self-care is important. The districts, your admin team, they don't know. You're the one that's in the trenches. Take care of yourself. How can you possibly be at your best in that classroom if you're being constantly stressed out and you're not doing anything to combat that stress? I love you guys. Let's get into episode 12. BlackScholarsPublishing.com, Black Scholars t-shirts, available now. Talk to you on the other side. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, I miss you, but I got no time for that, damn. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I miss you, but I got no time for that How could you wish you never play me? Had no time for that, damn Claim it, you my lady, got no time for that How could you move it like you crazy? I ain't call you back, damn But I got no time for that You was my little lady So episode 12 of the Black Scholars Podcast um, Van, please introduce yourself um, Where you currently teach What you currently teach um, We'll talk about your very intriguing and interesting story Of how you arrived to your current career uh, Later in the show But Let's just give them a background of 
who you are, what you do. Yeah, man, I'm Van Phillips Jr. Um, originally from Birmingham, Alabama. Currently, my wife and my family and I, we reside in Shreveport, Louisiana. Uh, I teach fifth grade English and social studies uh, at Cherokee Park Elementary, which is also located, you know, in Shreveport, Louisiana. Okay, and what grade did you say again? I'm fifth grade, fifth grade. Fifth grade, and you're doing fifth grade ELA, correct? Fifth grade ELA as well as social studies. Okay, okay. Um, and so do those classes change? Or are you having, you, ha you got different groups of fifth graders? Oh, yes, we have, we split our fifth graders into two into two different sections. Okay. So my, my shoulder partner teacher, she teaches math and science. And then once, I think it's class normally like two and a half hours. Then we swap. And then the class that I was teaching English and social studies to, they'll go to her. And then I'll get the group that she had in that morning. So, yeah, we have two different groups. We don't have four teachers to teach those four different subjects. We only have two teachers and we split them up. And we split them up and we teach two subjects apiece. All right. Now, Van, you're in Birmingham, Alabama, correct? No, I'm, I'm originally from Birmingham, Alabama. And they I moved to moved, Shreveport. Yes. I, okay. I, I guess you can say I moved to Shreveport, but <clears throat> I didn't move to Shreveport based off teaching. I was in Louisiana based off. That's, I attended Grambling State University. Okay. Did you teach in Alabama at all? No, 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 okay. no, no. no. I, it's, I've been, I've, ever since I came to Grambling, I've been in Louisiana ever since. Okay. And how are you liking it in Louisiana? Um, where we, where my wife and I used to live at, it was a very rural place. We recently moved to Shreveport about, about it about, I say about two and a half years ago. Okay. And well, about three years ago, I take that back. Yeah. Right about three years ago. And, um, it's a lot more urbanized, a lot more city. Um, of course, you always wish there were more, you know, especially when you compare them to the bigger, you know, the bigger kind of, you know, cities. You always wish there were more. But for the most part, you know, I enjoy living in this city. You know, uh, it's okay. not too big to where I'm, I'm always stuck in traffic, but yet it's not too small where I, ha where I don't have access to certain things that I would like to have access to. Now, what year is this for you in education? This is actually going into year six. Year six, wow. Into, this is year six for me. Congrats. Um, yeah, this is actually yeah, this is the beginning of year six. Uh, I did uh, one year before, I, I guess you can say, I started officially teaching. Uh, I, I was a paraprofessional, so if you count that year, this would be actually year seven. Okay. But I guess you can say officially this is year six for me hey man that seventh counts man i i started as a paraprofessional as well too i was in grad school so that that counts because that lets you know how your, like how was your paraprofessional experience mine was um mine was very interesting but obviously um it was good enough to you know for me to continue that process into education um i actually was in nashville in a uh, self-contained classroom and so okay. all of my students uh, had multiple disabilities. Um, mm -hmm. Some of them were in wheelchairs. Some of them could barely walk. Some of them could barely talk. So you're talking about the lowest of the low. It was severe. Right. So I actually started out as a special education teacher. 
and then I transitioned over into regular education. But my very first classroom as a paraprofessional was severe disabilities, uh, self-contained. I mean, we were, I mean, we were changing diapers, like. Oh wow! Yeah, you, that was, so that no, so if I figured no I enjoyed that, <laughs> if I enjoyed no doing that, with you. exactly, exactly. So I, I've seen, you know, uh, essentially what people might consider the bottom of of, of teaching, and uh, I loved every bit of it, man. Every bit of it. So that that pair pro year counts, man. That's serious. That counts. Okay, that counts. okay. Well, hey, this this started year seven, then, man. Absolutely. Count that pair. We're going to start at year seven then. How about that one? Absolutely. So let's go ahead and get into it. So let's go all the way back, all the way back. So you played football at Grambling, right? Yes, yes. I was. Um, I played football at Grambling State University. Um, three-year starter. Uh, things toward my junior and my senior year, we had a lot of coaching shuffle up. Things didn't go necessarily the way that I envisioned for this thing to go. Um, a lot of head, but a lot of disagreements between myself and a few of the coaches. Okay. So, um, kind of once it came down for people who are not familiar with, with it, once it came down to, um, uh, the end of, I guess you could say my eligibility is up. Normally what happens is all, you know, uh, qualifying juniors and seniors, they'll participate in, in a thing that we call pro day. And that's where, you know, you basically show on your, show your skills to different NFL scouts. And um, this, you normally start training right right after the season is over with. We won the SWAT, we won the SWAT championship that year, so our season was over with in late December. So I normally st- I started training in January. Uh, Pro day was somewhere around I think like March, the end of March. If I'm, it's like it's been eight years now, so I've forgotten the date, but it's somewhere around late March. Okay. And so after you've done all of that training, well, after I did all that training. And I walked up to the football complex where we normally, you know, change clothes, get dressed for practice. I was change, I was about to, I was walking in so I could change clothes, get ready for my official pro day with all of the other, you know, seniors. And just out of nowhere, um, they put this list up, and they said, and the list read, NFL scouts only want to see these these players. And it was odd, and I felt that something. You know, a little fishy was going on because of the simple fact I have been with the university the previous three years and nothing like this has ever happened before. Okay. Now, although, although um, I guess you could say management changed, I just felt like that last year, a lot of the things that I enjoyed and that I loved and it brought me, I mean, just pure passion out of it. I just felt like I allowed another man or multiples of people allowed it to just strip me out of, you know, what I got into it for and the joy that I found in playing in it. And so it was really it was really an eye opener. And I partially I partially think that's one of the reasons why, you know, I am so passionate about what I do, what I do now, because of the simple fact. Once you can give something I've been playing football since I was what, about 10, okay, about 10 years old. And then once you get to uh, once you get to 21, so you've been playing something for 11 straight years, and that you have this goal of ultimately possibly pursuing your, you know, your talents of those past 11 years into making actual a dollar figure or doing something at the highest level, and then to just feel like someone, you know, almost just shut the door, you know, in your face with no explanation, you know, it was kind of 
it was kind of gut-wrenching. You know, it was a punch in the stomach. It was definitely an instance where I was, I was questioning, you know, why, like for what, like I, I didn't, I didn't harm anybody. You know, I was never, I never was just disrespectful. Uh, there were some disagreements, but just far as me just being a disrespectful individual, that's something that I wasn't, you know, portraying. So I was, I was really confused. So as that is going on, mind you now, I'm jobless. I'm, I'm, I'm literally jobless. Just fortunate enough, man, my mother-in-law, man, she was, she's a doctor at uh, Gramlin State University. And, um. She wrote a grant for the university that uh, that allowed them the alternative teacher certification program. Okay. And she was just able to bless me with at that time. At that point in time, she wasn't my mother-in-law. I was just with I, me and my current me and my wife. Now, she was my girlfriend at that time, and she just basically just looked out. She's like, "Van, you can just intern with me. You know, it's not much, but it's to put a little dollars in your. It's to put some dollars in your pocket." So at that point in time, I just started working the ins and outs of, you know, the alternative teacher certification program. Um, and over the course of the, you know, couple of months, you know, I kind of started enjoying it. But I never said I wanted to go and teach because I was like, ah, I still want to study for the LSAT because law school is something that I had been, you know, if football never worked out, I always said, you know, look, I want to go to law school. I want to go to law school. I want to go to law school. I love speaking. I love getting in front of front of people trying to persuade them a certain way. So law school is definitely something that that while I was working as an intern, I was definitely still studying for. OK. And like I said, that intern, it, I couldn't make ends meet with just that. So like anybody else, I had to go get a second job. So my second job, I was working at a um, at a youth boys home. And so. When I was working at the youth boys' home, we strictly targeted, you know, youth who have been through the juvenile uh, juvenile detention center. They have been through the juvenile justice uh, 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 justice uh, uh, scene. Uh, they've been, I mean, I mean, you name it, from from murders to molested to, you know, to aggravate, like anything you name it. You know, that's the type of individual that we were working with. And, I mean, those ages, those ages range anywhere from 10 all the way up to 17. So at that point in time, I'm doing a, I guess you could say a double duty. And so while I'm, while I'm being an intern with my mother-in-law, I'm also working at this boy's home. And, and I just began to get a, a certain compassion about these individuals because certain things they have, go, they had gone through in their life. It was literally out of their control. Like they literally could do absolutely nothing. I mean, they basically just played the hand that they were dealt and whatever, you know, whatever the car cars fail, that's just what fail. And so as I'm working at this boy's home and the intern end up, it, it, it went out in May. So at this point in time, I have June, <laughs> I have July and then I have August. I'm basically without a job for that time. Right. And so uh, at that point in time, my father, who was a high school principal, he was like, man, son, you need to get on the substitute list or something. Because, I mean, like I said, I'm barely making ends meet at this point in time. Um, and so what I did was toward the end of July, beginning of um, August, I just started going to the schools around my area, just trying to introduce myself so they can put a name with a face. So when school when school comes and they the substitute teacher, at least they'll know I'm a credible source and they know exactly what I look like. They know exactly who I am. So it, it's not a, 
okay, you know how, well, I know I don't know how you guys do it, but, you know, you look at the list of subs and like, well, I, I guess I'll try this person. So at least the teacher, at least the people in the office could say, oh, Mr. Phillips, you know, he's a, that, that's a person who you need in your classroom if you're going to be if you're going to be out that day. Right. So I had went to, you know, I think it was probably about seven different schools around the area. So I'm ripping and running all day. And this final school that I went to, um, it was in the, I mean, the country, the country. And I was just I called my pops. I was like, pop, man, this school here is in the country. Like, I don't even have signal out here. I don't think this one. I don't think I want to be even substitute here. <laughs> And he was like, man, son, just be obedient to what, you know, basically to what to, you know, to what to what God has told you to do, man. Just do what do it because he thought I was there for a specific reason. So I said, man, you know what? I listen to you, bro. I listen to you. So I went in. I wanted to introduce myself. Luckily, the principal was there. First time I had met the principal out of all the school. Once again, small country town, small school. They go from uh, from grades. uh they go from grades, doggone, what, 6 through uh, six through 12. Okay. So it was a junior high slash middle school. And um, I go and I introduce myself to the principal. And she, I guess she just loved what she saw in me. And she and she felt her school, I was what was missing from her school, which is how I got my first pair of professional job. So I walked in. I said, I'm just looking to introduce myself. I want to become a sub at your school if you have teachers out. And I'm just letting you know who I am. And then so she said, uh, because at that point in time, she was in the office and I was in the main office. And then she heard she heard my voice. And I guess how I projected. So she walked out of her office, told me to come back to her office. Uh, and at that point in time, we're just she just kind of just getting a feel for who I am. And before I knew it, probably about 15 minutes of conversation, she was like, she asked me, you know, would you like to be a paraprofessional? At that point in time, I had absolutely no idea what that was. <laughs> I'm honestly thinking that's just another substitute. Right. I said, of course I want to be a paraprofessional. <laughs> and she's like, do you know what a paraprofessional does? She said, I said, of course not. I don't know what they do. <laughs> and so then she began running to, I said, yes, so that means I can come every day and I can get a consistent paycheck? She said, yes, sir, that is, that's exactly what I want you to do. I said, sign me. I sign up right now. <laughs> what paperwork do I got to fill out? Yeah. And so, uh, I, uh, so we're, we're still talking. She's laughing. I'm laughing. And then she said, I also have a baseball job open. Would you like to coach baseball? I said, wow. is that more money? Yeah. She said, yes, this will be your stipend. I said, you can sign me up for that too. Now, keep in mind, I haven't played baseball since the what, 10th grade, in, 10th grade in, in high school. Right. But I'm like, you know what, lady? I'm, I'm hurt right now. Look, sign me up. Sign me up. I'll try to recollect all of the information I have from baseball, and I'll put it in there. Keep in mind, I got a football background. Right. So I was just like, man, look, I'll do it. Then she hit me with another one. Well, you know you can make some more money if you want to coach basketball. I say, I can do that as well. <laughs> I can do it as well. So at that point in time, I walked in and wanted to be a – I walked in just wanted to be a sub. Right. I walked out of the school becoming a paraprofessional, the head varsity baseball coach, yep. the assistant head of boys and girls basketball coach, and the head junior high boys and girls basketball coach wow. so i walked in with literally zero jobs i walked out with four responsibilities or four jobs right and when i tell you i still wasn't convinced like teaching was for me right. i'm gonna be honest i still wasn't for it. i'm like look man i'm trying to pay my bills keep right. my head above water i just need to, i just need to stay in here until january january i can take the lsat 
I can I, and I can be ready to go off. I can be ready to go off to law school come that following August. Man, January hit, and I was hooked. Yeah. Just the impact I was having within the school, as far as the way, as far as the way the students were were beginning to kind of, I don't want to say mold themselves, but they they kind of start transforming themselves as to who they saw on an everyday basis, which was me. Right, right. And so I began seeing, you know, my young men wanting, you know, going out of their way to have their shirt tucked in while they're in the hallway. It was very small, subtle, but it was, in, man, I'm talking about it was powerful. It was impactful. And I told my principal, this had to have been like in November. November, man, came. I said, you know what? I think this is for me. I think this is for me. And she said, I think this is for you as well. And from that day forward, I was like, okay, we're going to become a teacher and we're going to do exactly what we need to do in order to elevate. So, wow, oh man, this is, this is where the story kind of goes from hunky dory to, because at that point in time, I'm, I'm being a paraphrase. Like I said, I was assistant head. Um, I was the head baseball. Okay. Baseball record. We went from winning one game that previous year to, Leaving out with a six hundred with a six hundred win percentage that by the end of that year. So the previous year we won two games. The following year, we had we didn't double, we didn't triple, we quadrupled our wins amount, and we also had a winning record by the end of the school year. Wow. Our basketball team, my our, our head our head boys basketball team, we were playing with I mean literally with nothing but seventh and eighth graders. We end up losing in the state semifinals. End up losing the state semifinals again. We're playing against 10th, 11th, 12th graders who just far more advanced. Right. But to see, to say we got that far, it was accomplishment in itself. Our girls' basketball team, the day I got there, it was I brought the same mentality that I brought to the football field, I brought to the basketball court. And initially it was rough because in towns like that, it's small, it's country, everybody knows everybody. And here you, here you have this new guy who's trying to change everything up. Right. Because for the previous four years, they had lost in either the state semifinals or the state championship every single year. They hadn't won a state championship. It, it was like 30 years prior before they had won a, a, another state championship. The day I got there, by the end of that school year, we walked out with a big, fat state championship ring. And this for the girls' basketball this team? For the, this is for my girl, head girl. This is for my girl, my girls' varsity basketball team. Okay. We end up winning the class C, uh, uh, state championship. Once again, it's a smaller, it's a smaller classification, but it's something that the school hadn't done in 30 years. Wow. And they had always, and even my head coach, when they would ask, you know, you know, what helped you guys get over the hump? First thing came out of that, man, we got a new young guy, man, and he just brought, he just brought this energy that we just didn't have within our program. Mm-hmm. And it literally changed the landscape of our program. And so by the end of that, but you know, that was great. Felt good. Feel good story. Right. But then it's time to not. Okay. So if you're going to be a teacher. You got to actually take tests in order to be a teacher. Does Louisiana uh, use the praxis or they use something yes. different? They use praxis. Yes, they use the practice as well. Okay. And that is what, that is where I, I caught myself really second guessing, you know, God, if, if this is what you want me to do, you know, why are you taking me through all these bumps and bruises and hurdles? And um, I, I definitely admit, man, um, I failed the practice test in April. 
I felt it in May. I felt it in I felt it in June. And I felt it in July. So that's four practice tests that I had already failed. And I had now retook it in July, hope, hoping, hoping, praying that by by the time August came, I would have a passing score so I can get into school, so I can start the program, so I can become a teacher. You know, right hand to the Lord, man, it was just by his by his grace. You know, I end up passing on that fifth time. So now I can get into the program. But with the alternative teacher certification program, which I mentioned, you know, prior, you know, it's a master's level program. So you don't just have to pass, you know, that initial test. You also have to pass two other tests in order to fully be certified, in order to fully get your degree. And so kind of long story short, man, kind of long story short, because I don't want to bore anybody who's out there listening. Man, it took me actually 12 times, 12 times to actually become a fully certified teacher. And this coming from a guy who my undergrad, I got I had a 3.4 GPA. You know, my first my first master's degree, I had a 3.8 GPA. And here it is. I'm getting to this. I'm in this program now. And it's just seemed like my grades are going. I mean, phenomenal because I end up passing the program with a 3.7 GPA, but it's like, you know, I can't pass this test. And, you know, after that storm was over with, I realized, you know, I I took you through that storm because I'm about to, I'm, God took me through that storm because now he's about to place me in a school and in a, well, a school system. And then he's specifically going to place me in a school where it's going to be storms coming from all of these kids. All these kids background going to have a storm around Right. And I know I can't put anybody who had been through a storm in order to save these particular kids from this storm that they're going through. So the best way I can teach you how to save these kids, you got to first go through the storm first. And so I, I almost laugh at teachers when they say, man, you know, Mr. Phillips, how do you always have this much passion, you know, while you're teaching? How are you always so energetic, you know, mm-hmm. when you're teaching? Like how like what's keeping you going? And I told him because the same individuals that are sitting in the seat is the exact same person who I was. Right. That's me. That's me growing up. I didn't enjoy school. You know, I didn't have teachers that can make this thing who can bring, who can literally take a worksheet and make it come to life. Like I didn't have that growing up. Right. So I know, I know of this storm that I went through, you know, in order to get on the other side, it's no way in the world I can give up on a child who's going through a storm. There's no way in the world I can give up on a child who feels like school just isn't that important to them or school is something that's just not for them. No, there's no way I can give up on that particular child. So when they ask me, you know, kind of, you know, how do you how do you keep it? You know, how do you not keep it? Right. It's easy to say it's easy to say I want to be a great teacher. It's easy to say, man, I want to teach like you, but you don't want to fail. You don't want to have to take this that practice test 12 times. In order to be able to teach like me, you don't want to do that. So the mind frame that I got coming in every day, it's a totally different mind frame than what you had. You right. Passed the first, second time. Right. You know, it took me twelve times to remain in this classroom. So I can't really take it for granted. I can't take it. So yeah, it's 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 that's that's a that's my quick. I guess you can say spiel. My quick <laughs> story. You know, as just far as me being. The person who I am today, I was strictly defined by those situations and those circumstances that were put in my life. And I just feel like I'm here right now for a specific reason. And I definitely, definitely feel like, man, this 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 book, man, it's, it's continuing to 
opened up and writing different chapters now, man. Absolutely. Well, thank you for sharing that story, man. I'm pretty sure that all of the listeners are like, what? You doing what? So you went from, you know, potentially the NFL to thinking about law school, studying for the LSAT to, you know, walking into a school with zero jobs and walking out with four and the girls winning a championship that year to okay now i'm ready for the classroom and you're taking this first test and you said you failed that first one four times four times wow four times wow four times and now while all of this is going on i'm still teaching yep and i'm still working at 11 o'clock at night to seven in the morning so i'm still doing all of that right so it's just like you can't like i just i just don't buy the you know the whole excuses you know, thing, man. I just don't. I, I don't buy into it because I, I literally, I break all modes. Right. I break all modes, and that's one thing. Kind of, if I'm going out and I'm going to speak, you know, to a group of educators, to a group of first year teachers, I think that's one of the reasons why I walked into that school with zero jobs and I left out with four, with just a simple presentation. Right. Simple presentation. You know how I present myself. You know because of your book says don't be dusty. Right. <laughs> so that's one that's that's the front that's the that's the framework kind of that i center everything around you know as far as me as an educator you know as far as everything that it goes into just don't be dusty <laughs> i love yeah. that man i love that so how much of that do you get a chance to share with um your students do you ever get an opportunity to share like how you kept bouncing back from adversity this, the normally I would have to share with my students. If I'm sharing it with my students, it normally doesn't happen until right around probably about January, February. Okay. When they hit that, when they hit that, 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 that roadblock, <laughs> yeah. when they hit that, man, I'm ready just for school to be out. Exactly. And at the end of my mind, mm-hmm. I'm like, I know you're ready for school to be out, but at the same time, I know my principal is expecting a certain type of test score from this from this group. Right. So normally that's when I start introducing more and more of this journey you know initially i might tell them the journey within the first week but i really get in depth you know right around january february when they feel like that wall is they're hitting that wall and there's no way they're going to get over that wall right right now you mentioned that you uh get the opportunity to speak to other educators and whatnot um are you doing anything for like the state of louisiana or is this just within your district that you get the opportunity to engage in speaking engagements uh i wish i wish i i literally wish i could you know i could do more okay but majority of my majority of my things that i'm speaking to it says like I'm, i might go back to grambling i might speak okay. to you know a group that's coming through the program and right now i'm i'm, I'm i have some things in the work with uh louisiana tech university trying to help their up-and-coming first-year teachers reach um let's say urbanized schools okay okay because when you when you when you talk about louisiana tech you're talking about people coming to a program who are you know uh predominant predominantly eurocentric you know to say right. the least right um so when you have when you have those types of people they don't really understand how to you know reach individuals who might think look and behave like myself Okay. So I just I, I give them nuggets, give them tools in order to kind of be successful in the classroom in an urbanized environment. Right. And so in your seventh year um, as a black educator, as a black male educator, um, which has been a reoccurring theme 
and uh, this is episode 12 so over the previous 11 i've only uh, had the opportunity to have a conversation with one other black male educator and that's no surprise to us because you and i are one of the few um and when i say now, one of the I'm, few less than no. i think the numbers is 1.5 i heard two yep. percent thrown yep. out there it's, there's it's, not many of below us below two percent yeah below are you seeing that in in your seven years of education oh that's a fact that's a fact everywhere I, everywhere i go everywhere i've taught i've taught at four different schools okay uh my first school and my first school, there were zero, there were zero black educators that taught core subjects. Zero. That's important. That's important to zero pinpoint. black educators that taught core subjects. I'm not. This is no disrespect to anybody, you know, who who might teach an additional subject that's not a core subject. But it was zero. It was zero um, teachers that taught core subjects. At my second school that I taught, it was two not including me, two black males that taught a core subject. Okay. Then at my third school, it was it was me and another individual who taught a core subject, you know, at the school and then the school the school that I'm currently at now, uh this is my third year here and now we've actually gotten up to three three black male teachers, you know, who teach core subjects, which is, you know, Include that's including myself though, which is but it, the the number normally it doesn't get above doesn't get above three, right? And how big is that faculty that you're a part of right uh, now? We have probably at about I would say about twenty to twenty five teachers maybe. Okay, so about three out of twenty five. Yeah. Yeah, about, yeah, number, yeah about, that number's about which, probably probably actually higher than the national average. Yep. So yeah. Yep. Yep. So I got to ask you, Van. Why do you think that is? Why is there so few of us in actual education, specifically in the classroom? I think necessarily right now, with the climate that we're going in throughout the, kind of throughout the country, you know, everything is so millennial based. Okay. And because millennials are not genuinely attracted to being in four walls for eight hours of the day, Mm -hmm. uh, they, they look at it as though it might be a possible I guess you can say setback or a step back, you know, that they might have to take in order to get into education. Because a lot of the people that I know, they got into education because they just couldn't find jobs anywhere else. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the times when you when you kind of step into that that realm and you're not really passionate about this particular thing, you know, that's the type of teaching effort that you display to your students, which is the reason why this state, as far as Louisiana, is one of the lowest I guess you can say test performing states in the entire country. So although, yes, we need more educators. Yes, we need more black educators. We need more passionate black educators. We need more passionate black male educators because the millennials think that that's not for them because it's no way I can I can take a kid telling me this, that and the third. But in actuality, Millennials are needed in this classroom more than ever right now because they reach and they can see on a level that somebody who possibly might be in, who might have been in this thing, you know, 15, 20, 30 years, they just can't see what these kids are seeing now. But one person who does, a person who is engrossed in their social media, they know exactly what these kids like to see on their social media. And they can they can really tailor that lesson based off the social media content which is something that I always try to do 
you know, when I'm thinking about my list, okay, what's what's the latest thing going on in social media? You know, what challenges the latest in the, as far as that the kids are doing, that the world is doing, that's extremely popular on social media? How can I incorporate that, you know, to a lesson about finding the thing? Like, how can I incorporate that? Yeah. So that's that's me taking taking my educator's hat off. I'm putting my millennial hat on now. Right. So millennials, they don't think this is a very, I guess you can say, appealing job that would necessarily fatten their pockets. But in actual in actuality, if you become an expert in this thing and you can teach people how to be successful in this thing, right? Oh, it's a lane for you. Definitely, it's a lane for you, and that lane definitely it definitely can come with huge, huge benefits as far as financially. Right. Now, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying. I apologize about that. My phone. Now, I'm not saying that I've reached that level or moment quite yet. But I'm telling you, I'm beating on the door right. so somebody yeah, they... open it up. Right, you're I'm on the right path. I'm to somebody open it up. Definitely. And the biggest thing right now is millennials, because everything happens so quick, so fast, in such a hurry. You know, the rigorous, the you know, the rigorousness of eight to nine months, you know, in this controlled environment. You know, you, you don't really feel as though you can be who you think you are, but in actuality, that's totally false. Because the same person I am off social, off social media, off out of the classroom, that's the same exact person that you're going to catch, Mr. Phillips, as far as inside the classroom. Yeah. So I think that's the biggest reason why. That's the biggest reason, especially why males aren't, why there aren't more males in the classrooms, per se. Now, is there anything that we can do as far as black educators specifically black male educators to make the field more appealing is there anything we can do to help attract more black educators and black male educators as well okay i'm glad you asked that because i think that's one of the reasons kind of why i'm centering i'm centering my social media aspect around everything that i'm centering it around mm -hmm. because of the simple fact okay how do i get people who look like me not to think that he's just a teacher. Like, what can I do? Yeah. The first thing I can do is the image that they see. It has to be an appealing image. Yeah. It has to be. It has to be me looking a certain way that's actually appealing. Oh man, Mister Man, he a teacher. <laughs> he dressed. He dressed that nice. You know, every yeah. day yeah. I'm like this every day. So initially, I'm getting. I'm getting you who might think you have to lose yourself in order to be a teacher. No, that's totally opposite. I need you to be yourself even more while you're a teacher. You know, I, I don't lose myself. I'm buttoned up every day. So that's the first thing I think. I think they need to see more of us in the light where we haven't totally lost ourselves as far as in our appearance, in our image. We're not an old, you know, an old fart to say, right. you know, for a lack of better terms, like we're not that person. But I'm, you know, throughout my classroom, I'm definitely playing hip hop music. Yeah. That's something that I need to show Same. them. Same. They need to, they need to see. They need to see. Yo, look, that we definitely, you know, doing the Kiki challenge, you know, why I got a 30 second break, you know, with my class. Like that's definitely something that we're doing. Yeah. And I think they need to just see that, yo, this teaching thing, it it it's not as bad as everybody keep makes making it seem. Yeah. So I think that's the I, the first and most important thing is image. Image, image, image. They need to see somebody excuse me to see multiples of people portraying and seeing you know wealth 
Yeah. And you don't have to necessarily have the wealth, right. but I think you can definitely always look like you have it. Definitely. I 100% agree with that. Um, like you said, and I put it in chapter one of my book, don't be dusty. Don't be dusty, The man. biggest thing is perception. I get tired, so tired of hearing teachers say, oh, I'm broke this, I'm broke that. And then if they hear it from us, then, of course, everyone from the outside looking in, oh, yeah, teachers are broke, teachers are broke. And I'm like, wait a second, time out, time out. My, guilt, my bills get paid on time, right? I'm saving, I'm investing. I'm taking trips. I can buy what I want to buy when I want to buy it for the most part. I'm not rich, but I'm on that path, just like you said. Right. right? And it's because that perception is so important. If you're an expert at anything that you do, I mean, you can just think about it. If you're a plumber and you are apprentice working for someone and you're making X amount of dollars and you're not rich, but you're you're learning your trade, you're honing your craft and then after a few years, you start your own business. Now you're your own plumber, right? You got your own plumbing business and you start to hire others under you and you start to train them and your business is growing. You're an expert. Your business is successful. You can exactly. write a book. You can do a podcast. You can exactly. create content, speaking exactly. engagements where you can talk to other plumbers in this scenario Talk to other plumbers about how you built your business and they will pay you. They'll buy the book. They'll listen to your podcast. They will, whatever you're selling. As long as you have a genuine, as long as you're genuine, you know, you're Mm -hmm. transparent um, Mm. and and you're not speaking from a spirit of of, of financial poverty, right? Of just just brokenness. Like that's not a positive energy anybody wants to be attached to. So I thank you for doing what you do because that that's helping my, ongoing debate on look don't be dusty <laughs> that's helping oh man debate. please don't that's, that's, hey man that's one thing I, I definitely believe in man changing the perception and not only that but just understanding you know if i want to reach if i want to reach you know 40 50 some odd you know little black boys and little black girls mm-hmm. you know i can't i can't come in and they can't come in seeing what they see every day yeah you know I, I feel good about them asking, Miss Phyllis, why you always, why you wear a suit to school every day? I feel good about it because I know, okay, obviously that's not something that you're seeing at home. So I know I need to be showing you this every single day. Yeah. I need to let you know that you don't necessarily just have to wear a suit when you're going to court. Wear a suit when you're going to a wedding. Wear a suit when you're going to church. You can wear a suit to your job. Yeah. Something that you are, I'm dealing with kids all day, every day. And yet I'm still coming in with the suit on. I mean, I'm at the playground. I might take my jacket <laughs> off, but I'm putting that jacket right back on so that we step foot inside of the building. Right. So I definitely, I'm definitely 100%, you know, right with you in regards to do not be dusty, man. Let them, show them, you know, show them that what you portray is a is just a sense of excellence in every aspect. Absolutely. Like knowing the information that you're you know that you're supposed to know in order to be, you know, a phenomenal teacher. Right. But look, I'm showing you a sense of excellence in the way I dress, in the way I speak, in the way I teach, and the way that I vibe out with you. Right. So I think, I think a lot of times teachers, you know, we become so consumed. It's, I, I, I can just say teachers as a, as a whole. We become so consumed with the material that we have to teach, with the deadlines that we have to meet, with the data that we have to reach. Yeah. That we forget about taking care of our own self. Mm, and self-care. lose our own self in actuality we lose the kid right 
So right. yeah, I'm 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 right with you on that one. And you just touched on something I want to kind of elaborate a bit further. So for self-care, what's one way that you typically would balance that um, work-life balance that we have to deal with on a daily basis, a weekly basis, a monthly basis, uh, being the busy educators that we are? Okay, so my work-life balance is very simple. Everybody's not, it's, it's what Eric Thomas says, everybody want to be a beast till it's time to do what real beasts do. <laughs> Look, I'm all about, you know, getting what you need as far as sleep. But I'm sorry. I'm up every morning, four o'clock in the morning, Love four it. o'clock in the morning. I get my 20 minute. I get my 20 minute workout in my 15 minute, my 10 to 15 minute ad workout in. And then I, that. So right there, I'm I'm at four thirty four forty five. So I've got that in. I've taken care of my body because right. a lot of the times teachers, when they teach, they think that they become so bogged down with work. They can't take care of their body. Yo, you you can take care of your body. It's just gonna take a little bit extra effort. Mm -hmm. I'm willing to take I'm willing to take that extra effort. I take my shower. I do what I have to do as far as I. This is just my. This is just strictly what I do. Yo, when I, I take my shower, okay, now it's time to get to work. Okay, you got to make sure everything is lined because my lesson plans are already done on that Sunday, so my lesson plans are already taken care of. RTI is already taken care of. Data for the week, as far as being assessed, it's already been done on Sundays. So a way that I need to do as far as that time that I have, okay, now it's time, okay, who is going to be struggling? Because somebody's going to struggle with this lesson. On those days, those are, those are the days as far as that morning, I focus in on who possibly might struggle in today's lesson. And what am I going to do once they struggle? Right. So initially, when I get out the shower, I throw on me a sweatsuit, I begin to get to work while I'm at the house. I leave my house at, right at about 545 every morning. 5.45 every morning, still in the sweatsuit. I got my suit in my hand, got my tie in my hand, got my shirt in my hand, got my shoes in my bag. So I'm getting dressed when I get to work. Because I know when I get to work, I need to make sure my classroom environment, which is also a big thing that I say makes a successful teacher, I'm making sure everything in my classroom environment is well equipped for me to be successful that day. I don't want anything missed out of place. I don't want anything falling on the ground. Because, you know, sometimes, you know, while you gone, you know, a sign might fall down, a poster might fall down. I don't want to be strolling in at 7.20, 7.30. School starts, I get my kids at 7.45, and I don't have time to make sure my learning environment is in the best needs of my students. Now, everybody can't leave necessarily that late. That They can't leave that early because they have families to take care of. Luckily, my wife, she doesn't have to be to work to nine on most, on most, uh, on most mornings. So she normally takes our kids to daycare. I normally pick them up. But I feel like with any teacher, you have to you have to pick and choose. You have to pick. Are you going to be that person who puts that work in in the morning? Or are you going to be that person who puts that work in in the afternoon? I Unfortunately, I can't put the work in in the afternoon because I got to head to my second job. So I know right. if I'm going to still be successful in what it is that I feel like I'm doing at this current moment, oh, I got to put that I, I got to put that time in in the morning. And so that's why I choose to put my time in it. That so makes that's sense. Yeah. As far as. In regards to self-care and, and, and maintenance, I get my time in in the morning, in the morning, in the morning. So while I'm headed to work, while I'm focusing on what students might be struggling, you know, throughout that day, oh, I'm listening to something that's going to make sure that I'm motivated for that day. Whether it's Eric Thomas, whether it's Inky Johnson, whether it's Les Brown, whether it's T.D. Jakes, whether it's John Gray, whoever it might be. But I'm, I'm, I'm making sure I'm putting my mind in the, my mindset in the frame of someone who's ready to be successful for today because 
you know, throughout the day, it's, it's tough, man, being a teacher. I'm not going to sit here and shoot the code in front like, oh, man, all good, man. You don't have no words. Nah, bro. Nah. Nah, sis. That's not anything like that. So because it's not anything like that, I know I have to make sure I have to take care of my mind and my body in order to be the best, you know, the most phenomenal teacher that my students need. Absolutely. I definitely agree. Well said, well said. And I'm sure there are some educators out there that will probably be implementing some of those strategies uh, oh, yeah. that you uh, you laid out for. So we appreciate that. Definitely. Oh, most definitely. Now, let me ask you this, uh, Van. Is there anything that you're reading right now or listening to? I know you mentioned uh, some of those motivational, inspirational, even spiritual podcasts and a lot of those because I listen to Dr. Eric Thomason. Of course, I listen to Bishop uh, T.D. Jakes as well. But is there anything that you've read or you recommend uh, that people check out or uh, uh, other black educators? Did, the book that I did just get through... Um, I did just get through for the first time. It's crazy. This book's been out for this long, and I, I never even thought about reading it. But I did just get through reading uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Okay. Um, phenomenal read. Just, yeah. just trying to, you know, kind of help better become financial, financially literate. Yeah. You know, as far as um, with my finances because it's easy to say so yeah i think it's easy to say you know teachers don't don't make enough but i feel like okay if i'm if i'm grinding like i'm grinding right okay once i do once i do begin making enough now what am i going to do to to create some type of generational wealth so my kids don't necessarily have the same problem that i might have at the age that they that, that i'm that i'm that i'm currently at right, right. you feel what i'm saying so Absolutely. i just got through uh reading rich dad poor dad but I am, um, I was actually turned on by um, a guy who I'll be working with in Louisiana Tech in the next couple of weeks. Uh, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, it's called The Conspiracy Against Our Black Boys. I believe that's what it's called. I could be mistaken. Don't quote me on it. Okay. But that's definitely a new book that I'm, that I'm definitely about to begin reading. I actually, once I meet him in the next few weeks, he actually has it for me already so I can begin reading it. So that's one of the things that I will be reading uh, in the near future, okay. Uh, the, the conspiracy against our black boys, because a lot of the times, you know, as bad as it sounds, and I don't want to sound like I'm I'm one of these type guys, but some of the educational um, flaws in the educational system, you know, is is perpetuating early, you know, prison sentences for our young men, as far as you know the um, the inability to reach certain individuals at a certain level, and so instead of doing everything we can in order to make sure they are successful in the classroom, we throw them in, we throw them in special ed, you know? So now they're in a self-contained environment to where now they don't, they don't see the rest of the world only, you know, possibly 30 minutes out of the day or an hour out of the day, depending on the IEP. And when they don't necessarily, when we can't necessarily get them into special education because they're too old. Okay. So now how can we begin a paper trail so now I don't have to deal with him on an everyday basis. Mm. So I just think, I just think I think I need to I need to know I need I want to know what others have to say about this who are far more intelligent than I am and have read far more books than I I have and have done far more research than I have done. And I just want to kind of see what angle that they are coming at. And then I feel like I can definitely better help suit you know, specifically, you know, my young black boys. 
Definitely. Great suggestion. Great suggestion. Um, now, final question I'll ask you, Van. What is, what is something that you would like to say to black educators who are out there listening? And when I say black educators, I mean, you know, those who maybe been in the trenches for a while. So they've been doing it. They're a veteran. Also brand new teachers. And even uh, I've, I've heard from teachers who have listened to the podcast, or excuse me, students who have listened to the podcast, who are aspiring educators, what, what do you want to leave them with? What's one message you want them to remember? It's simple. You push the culture, so continue to push the culture. Meaning, African Americans have always pushed the culture in regardless of any aspect, in regardless of any facet of life. So with that being said, continue pushing the culture, but push the culture now in a way that's going to help to help shape, mold, and almost recreate our future. Mm. So yeah, I definitely, man, if you're listening to this podcast, this definitely is a podcast for you. I definitely highly encourage you to turn it on to somebody, you know, who, who's even thinking about possibly being an educator. This is coming from an aspect of someone who has been in the education system, who has seen the worst of the worst, who have been through the worst of the worst, as far as trying to become an educator, the ups and the downs of, you know, not being able or not feeling sufficient enough as an as a black man, you know, cannot is this test designed for me to fail? You know, having those thoughts, you know, pop in my mind, you know, having these things as far as I'm never going to be possibly pass this test. You know, I'll just do whatever it is I got to do to make ends meet. No, listen, if you pass, if you failed that test one time, two times, three times, continue to take it. I promise you, I promise you, your story is going to be the light that is going to shed on a dark place in a student's life, mind, and in their educational journey. So do not give up because I promise you, the next doctors, lawyers, dentists, educators, teachers, principals, they depend on you to continue to push forward. Well said. And I lied. One other question for you, Van. You said that your dad's a uh, principal? Yeah, he's a high school principal in Alabama. Do you, uh, have you received that calling on your life yet? Uh, I definitely, it's, I have. It's kind of, it's one of those things where, I definitely blame myself for dragging my feet because everybody continues to push it. Van, you need to hurry up and get administration. Van, you need to hurry up and get into administration. Van, you need to hurry up and get into into administration. And in which I do feel like I am some somehow boxed in by just only being in the classroom, although my impact is school wide. Um, I definitely feel like possibly being an administrative or you know assistant principal in some facet. I do feel like I'll be able to reach more students as far as throughout the school because I have the freedom of going in and actually speaking with those who are in lower grades, speaking with those who are in upper grades. Uh, but I definitely feel like that has been a calling and it's, it's, it's one that I've kind of pushed off, shrugged off, took my time on, not rushed because I don't think anything should be rushed when it comes to making a decision like that because, you know, now you're not just, you know, in control of you know, a classroom or a, a group of students. Right. You know, you you're in charge of. I don't want. I don't even like to say in charge, but you're held responsible for the leadership 
of an entire student body, of entire faculty, of entire staff. Yeah. So you're held responsible for so many people. So I don't want to get into that responsibility premature and fail, not saying that I think I'm going to fail, not saying that I'm heading to it, knowing I'm going to fail, but I do feel like I do need more tools in order to be successful in that aspect you know, of the education system. Well said, man. Well said. I was just curious have, on that. I had have to you ask. Ever thought, have, you, have you ever thought about getting into the administrative role? So uh, one of my best friends, uh, so I've had two best friends in my life. Both of them died. <laughs> and one actually was a principal in Chicago. Um, graduated from Marquette. He, uh, I think he got a degree from Harvard, went to University of Chicago. And um, so he was a pastor. And uh, right now, besides being an English teacher, I also am a learning coach. So I get the opportunity to go into other classrooms and observe my peers, you know, while they're teaching and give them feedback um, so they can, uh -huh. you know, constructive criticism so they can become better and uh, just improve the school, you know, from a pedagogical sense uh, overall. And so, right. uh, yeah, I, I got that. I got that calling. I, I had a deep just just I, not gut feeling but like you know that that holy spirit right like i had that gut feeling right. sense of consciousness that was like it's time it's time so yeah i uh, i got it last year and uh, i'm looking at programs now to potentially enter because um, if i get it i want to get it and not just the certification but i want to get it along with um hopefully a doctorate degree as well so that's mm. my plan that's my plan because mm. that's powerful there man i'm sorry i'm sorry about that you know about your friends well thank you i appreciate that man but yeah but i mean but sometimes you know uh something has to happen right tragically that will um open up you know uh opportunity you know sometimes there's there's exactly, opportunity exactly. in adversity you know that's what bishop jake says all the time there's opportunity in that mm -hmm. fire so stop running away from it mm -hmm. actually run toward it and uh that, run through it exactly exactly so um yeah man I, i've got it as well and uh, I, I i have nobody to blame but myself for not doing it sooner but i'm type of person sounds just like you you know Big i move by purpose Big yeah man i, I don't want to just go do it just because it's a bigger paycheck i wanted to do it and make sure that my heart was really into it so yeah Class dismissed. Thank you for listening to the Black Scholars Podcast. For more information, Sometimes go to blackscholarspublishing.com. You just gotta go. You will never know what you could ever be. If you never try, you will never see. Stayed in Africa, we ain't never leave. So the ones don't slave in a history. One no slave ships, one no misery. Call me crazy, or isn't he? See, I fell asleep and I had a dream.